Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome to another episode of the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Mangelson, and today we are continuing our series with millennials, Chai Can't Even. And I am really excited about today's episode. Um, we, I'm going to be talking to Linda Stambridge from Michigan, who is a seminary peer of mine, and she's a mother of two. And we are just going to have a conversation um, about growing up in Community of Christ or her um, story with Community of Christ, and then uh, her involvement now and her hopes and dreams and challenges for the church. And I'm really excited. So thank you, Linda, for coming on. Thank you for having me. And I must say that when we were in some, we are in seminary, but when, before I met you at our first focus session, I didn't realize how young you were. I just assumed that like, I just assumed that everyone's like in their forties or fifties and everyone's like way older and way more experienced than I am. And so every time I've gone to a focus session and I meet people and I'm like, Oh, we're only a couple years apart. Like you have a newborn. This is great. So that's the funny thing about having the name Linda, because people, especially at work, I'll talk to clients and then I'll meet them and they're like, I didn't know you were going to be a young person because everybody <laughs> has an aunt Linda or a grandma Linda. So they assume you're going to be middle-aged. There's just not very many young, young Lindas. Well, I love it. And just because this is a podcast and people can't see, Linda has awesome purple hair right now that I am absolutely <laughs> in love with. Thank you. So she just like blows all the Linda stereotypes out of the water, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so let's just dive right in. So did you grow up in the church? Did you grow up religious? Um, what is your history with Community of Christ? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. Um, I grew up in a more uh, evangelical tradition. I actually started attending uh, Community of Christ um, not too long before the name change um, with a boyfriend that I was dating in middle school and a little bit in high school. And I would go to the, I think it was called Hard Rock Cafe. And it was a thing they would have on Friday and Saturday nights for um, young people. And then eventually I started going on Sunday mornings for several years and I was baptized. I don't know if it was my junior or senior year of high school. And I like to say I was kind of lucky to end up in community of Christ where I theologically really fit because my baptism decision was really based on my experiences with the community and not really based on, you know, this theology or idea of the greater church. I don't think I was really aware or mature enough to understand that. Even then, people were still talking about um, the Three Glories and the One True Church. And this was not even that long ago. I was just in kind of a more conservative congregation. So I think in a way, I was kind of lucky to end up in today's community of Christ um, because the church was um, so different. But so I converted, I think it was about 17, not too long before the name change. Okay. And so when you converted, was it like a challenge for your family? I mean, was there a lot of animosity or like things that you had to work through with, um, you know, your former religious community when you joined Community of Christ? So my family was not practicing any religion officially or regularly when I converted. Um, I started searching sort of on my own. I had this fear, which I think is normal probably for teenagers. I started having this fear, what if God is me? And I needed to feel out what that what that was like. So I started attending some churches. Uh, my dad would go with me sometimes. He'd feel good about letting me try some things out. I tried to come to Baptist church, but it was like within walking distance. I went to a couple of churches until I started attending with my boyfriend at the time. And um, there was maybe a little bit of pushback from my family. They didn't totally understand it, but they've always been very supportive. Um, so it was a I would I very had a very supportive family and a good conversion experience. Awesome. So I'm a little bit interested at the timing of your conversion, you know, converting around 17, it's really close before, you know, you leave the nest, so to speak, and like go to college. And it's at a point at a lot of people's lives where maybe they drop off in religion, but it sounds like that this is where you picked up religion. So how was that transition? And, you know, what was your college experience like with, um, in relationship to the church? So I actually did go to Graceland which was kind of a, probably a crazy decision. Like now when I think about things that I did at 17, 
it's kind of, I surprised myself when I think about it that I did it. Because um, I had never been to Bruceland before I decided to go there. Um, we had a person in summer. And I started kind of thinking about what it would be like to go to a big conference on Turkey Cheese. It's just a huge number. And I was, I was at kind of this crossroads personally where I was really starting to figure out who I was and what And I thought, Bruceland had been experienced because I knew I would get a lot of personal injuries and things. So I would get a chance to um, start over and I would have a little bit of a trip. So I was painfully shy as a kid and a teen. Um, there were things that I wanted to do that I wanted because I was a lot of, a lot of things I wanted to experience, but um, I was also afraid. And I thought if I could go somewhere that would challenge me, which first time that's what we did, that I could figure out how to get. And that was kind of my goal. And first, like, I'm going to figure out how to be um, this person that I really grow and change. And so I think I found Christ at exactly the right moment because I needed this person to trust everything. Um, turned out exactly like I need to for me to personally spiritually. Everything lined up exactly. Can you talk a little bit more about Graceland? I'm kind of fascinated with the whole Graceland culture. Um, I know that there's. I mean, a lot of Community of Christ students there, but it's not all Community of Christ. Right. Um, but did you ever feel the pressure to, like, only date Community of Christ people or only associate with Community of Christ people? Um, or, you know, how was that interaction getting to know this new church while also just being at college? I didn't feel there was a pressure to um, necessarily date someone who was Community of Christ. Um, I didn't feel like there was any pressure to be friends with anybody that was community of Christ. I don't remember really thinking at all that anybody was other. I don't remember thinking that person's not community of Christ, that person is. I don't know that I was even aware or treated any, I don't think anybody was treated um, special for being community of Christ or, or different if they weren't. Um, there were especially a lot of local people who were there that were not necessarily community of Christ, but were raised in the area and were familiar with Graceland, but I guess that would be a really good question to ask somebody who went to Graceland that wasn't Community of Christ if they've had it if they had an experience. I don't remember thinking of anybody uh, as being different or other or having an awareness of that. That's good to know. Um, I mean, that's what I hope to hear, but it's good to just hear it. <laughs> and you're right. I think we should actually interview some Graceland people that maybe aren't Community of Christ. I think that'd be really interesting to see that yeah. perspective uh, yeah. for a lot of different reasons. So how was your involvement with the church while you were at Graceland? I mean, were you actively engaged in like congregational life on campus? Were you involved with any leadership or anything? Um, I guess I just want to kind of like build up to what you're doing now for the church. So when I was at Graceland, I did go to church um, sometimes on campus, but not regularly. And I do have some regrets about that. Um, I was not involved in any leadership um, with the church. I did do some student government, um, but I wasn't involved um, with the church deeply at that time, which um, seems kind of strange because I was um, trying to find myself and I was still finding God and what my um, church community was going to be like. I think because I wasn't connected to the changes that were happening at World Church, especially um, because it was so close to the time of the name change um, and those changes we're trickling down to the local congregations really slowly, but my home congregation was still, um, hadn't received all those changes yet. So there were a lot of things that were um, different and I was closer to independence. So there were people who were maybe more familiar with, with what was going on. Um, and I just, I wasn't realizing how much the church was changing. I wish, but in a good way for me, I wish that I would have been more connected at Graceland because since I wasn't, after I graduated, I didn't find a new home congregation. I didn't move back home. I stayed in, in independence. I didn't find a new home congregation for a lot of years. And I started sort of searching again for this church home, not realizing community of Christ was already becoming this church that I was searching for. And it took me a long time to realize I was already in the right place. So much change was happening in the church at that time, which was really good, but it trickles down slowly. And because I was not involved in our congregation, I didn't realize um, how exciting things were and how much awesome stuff was happening. I was already in the right place. It's really cool to hear um, because, I mean, it, 
my own faith journey, I kind of feel like, I mean, there's parallels there that I was looking for something and I realized that community of Christ was the church that I was looking for. Um, and they kind of followed the same theological, you know, they, they tracked the same theological journey that I had personally taken. So it's interesting to hear, you know, from your perspective, how being in the church and then, um, not being super engaged and then realizing like, Oh, actually this is the church that I want. And exactly. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. So did you get involved then while living in independence or did that come later or? That pretty much came later. Um, when I moved home and um, I got married, we started looking for um, looking for a church. And we, I connected again um, with some friends from camp that still live in the same area. So I have um, an awesome group of camp friends. Those are most of my closest friends are from church camp. And so I kind of connected that way when I moved home, I was physically close to people. And so it was a really easy way for me to start finding a church home again. And it did take some time to find a congregation uh, that really fit for me, but I was, I was able to do that. And um, that's how my husband and I kind of got together. I moved home and um, he was living in Michigan and we ended up in the same community at the same time. And so all this exciting stuff um, started happening for me. And we were sort of looking for a congregational home. Awesome. And then I know that you um, are ordained a priest, which I am too. It's a really awesome office. So how did that whole thing unfold? That is kind of a strange story too. Um <laughs> <laughs> so I was involved with um, two congregations at the time. So I am involved with a congregation that's a non-traditional congregation. And we meet just four times a year and um, at a campground. And it's a really cool way um, for people to connect who are really interested in community of Christ and who are in a lot of ways already the church, but they're maybe not um Sunday morning model doesn't work for them or they don't feel connected to it. So that was my home congregation. But I am a person who likes to go to church on Sunday mornings. So I was also involved in, an, in another congregation. So um, at that time, I actually had uh, a priesthood call come from both congregations. So it, it kind of turned out to be this sort of really strange situation. But within um, two weeks, I had two pastors kind of talking to me about this calling. So it was, it was really exciting and, and surprising like it is. You know, um, I had felt the spirit moving, but I, I didn't I hadn't connected yet what that meant for me. Um, so it was, it was a really exciting experience. That is super interesting. So I'm assuming that. I mean, were both pastors independently thinking priest for you or were they talking to each other and do they know that, I mean, this is just fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, they, they were not talking to each other. So, um, they, apparently that was what they were both, um, thinking and, um, submitted it separately to the mission center. And so it's kind of a long story how everything came about, but it came out of, I was told by the pastor um, of the congregation that I was at weekly, but it's not where my membership was, which is one of the challenges sometimes of a non-traditional congregation because we only meet four times a year. Um, but I was ordained um, at the congregation where my membership was. That's really cool. That's really cool. It's a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I I just, to be that mission center president, you know, to like get two calls from two different congregations for the same person, the same office. And um, I had no idea what really what was happening because, you know, by the time those things happen, a lot of that stuff's already kind of been sorted out. And that, yeah. so I, I had no idea what was going on. I was totally oblivious to the whole experience. So. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So... Would you say, um, oh, cause I don't think we mentioned this, but you, I mean, you have two kids, um, you have a career, you're also in seminary and you do a lot for your mission center. Are you, remind me, are you the financial officer? I'm the financial officer for, um, our non-traditional congregation, Blue Water Emerging Congregation. And I was okay. serving as CFO of another congregation, um, kind of temporarily, but that's somebody else has taken that on. And then I serve on the Mission Center Council, where I represent um, five congregations in our area. And I, I work with them, um, keeping them, them in touch with the Mission Center. Um, it's a really fun job. I get to bounce around a ton to a lot of different congregations. and It's really great role. So you're busy. 
in other words. I tell people I'm allergic to saying no, but I am really trying to figure out what it looks like to focus your energy where your passions are. Um, and I'm not good at that. I get really excited about a lot of things and I love community of Christ. So, um, I tend to say, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then I kind of start realizing maybe can't actually do all of this. And the, the biggest wrench in that was seminary (laughs) (laughs) because, um, it takes up an absurd amount of time, but it's so, um, life changing and worth every minute. But, um, it has kind of forced me to say, like, you know, these are the things that I can reasonably do. And this is um, what I can. And this is the kind of person that I, I need to to be. And these are the things I'm passionate about. I can't do every single little thing. So I've, I have tried to start backing off on some things, but I can relate to this. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. To an, an alarming level. Yeah. Seminary has really made me, you know, take a step back and say, you know, like you said, to put your energy where your passions are and to not stretch yourself too thin because then that's when balls start getting dropped. Yep. And I've dropped yep. a lot of balls um, <laughs> trying to juggle too much. Um, it's hard. It is hard. It really, really is to say no. And for me not to feel like I'm failing in some way because I'm excited about all the things I'm doing, everything I'm doing, I want to be doing. I have that um, passion and excitement for it, um, but I have to try to be practical too. Yeah, I relate to that perfectly. Um, and my list of after seminary, you know, like, oh, I'll get to that after seminary. Or yep. I'm going to focus on that after <laughs> seminary is huge. Yes. And I'm like, I can't let seminary end because I'm not <laughs> going to be able to tackle this mountain of things that I've been putting off until after seminary. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. So would you say that your involvement with church or your your leadership development at Graceland um, has helped you in other aspects of your life? Like, has, has your religious community, the skills that you've learned with Community of Christ, with your congregations, etc., um, have all of those things helped you in just, you know, your non-church life? Like, has church been a benefit to you in your non-church life? Oh, immeasurably. Yes. Um, I think the greatest thing that I've learned from my experiences in the church in leadership and just as, um, you know, a member and a friend, I think the greatest thing that I've learned is, um, how to have difficult conversations with people. And that probably sounds kind of strange, but I think, um, we have to get get good at, and this is something that the church is really passionate about, right? If we can't agree on things, it's concerned during principles. If we can't agree on things, we commit to that ongoing dialogue. And it's something that community of Christ has gotten good at um, practicing, but it pushes me in the other parts of my life to be able to continue loving people, even when I really deeply disagree with them and to be willing to continually go into conversations that are really difficult to find a way to see the sacred in someone else that I disagree with, to be able to um, recognize the holiness in a difficult conversation. And um, I think when I'm able to live that out, it makes me better at my job. It makes me a better mom. It makes me a better wife. That is hands down the, the biggest way that the church has impacted my life outside of church. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that it's not fully unique to community of Christ, but like you said, it's something that we really, really, we uphold, you know, we uphold this idea that we can disagree, that we can work through things that we can still be in relationship with one another, even if we disagree on things um, and to still find the sacredness in one another um, and commune together. So thank you for that. I think too, we have to confess that a lot of times we're going to fail at doing that, but we're going to uphold it as the standard that we, that we want to live to. We keep, we keep practicing it. I think that's so important. Yeah. I think there's a lot of beauty in the practice. Yeah. So what would you say um, are some of the benefits of religion in today's society? Because we were chatting a little bit before we started recording. And um, one reason why I feel so strongly to do this podcast is a lot of people in our generation um, in their 20s and 30s are leaving religion and, you know, who might consider themselves spiritual, but not religious. And while I do think that that has merit, um, I also know that there is benefit for religious communities. And I assume that you would agree because you're in seminary and you are engaged in congregational life. 
So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think for me and um, for a lot of other millennials, you know, that I worship with, I think so much of it is about that sacred community. Um, The community that we encounter in church is a community of people that you don't get to pick and choose. So if I were to pick my own community, I would pick people like myself. I would pick um, people that I identify easily with. It would be essentially an echo chamber. But in a congregation, we don't we don't get that. You don't get to choose who's there. And it, it challenges you. It challenges our kids to interact with new people. And we're constantly, um, like I said, learning how to love people um, that we disagree with deeply. I think that um, sacred community is, for me, what keeps me coming back all the time. The loving community that you get, the support, um, this opportunity to kind of live out God's justice in a community that's really committed to it. Um, I think church is the place for me where I experience that, where I experience um, myself most deeply. Well, and I think that, you know, in today's society, um, these are just my thoughts, that uh we we feel like we're really connected because we're all on social media. And like you were saying, you know, we can choose who we interact with on social media. Like it's really easy to block someone on Facebook or to unfollow them, et cetera. Um, but, you know, when you're sitting in the pews with people that choose to come there, you don't choose who walks into your church door. And I know that, you know, in my congregation, there are people who I love dearly, who if we were not worshiping together, I've, our paths would have never crossed. Exactly. Um, And we, you know, might have different beliefs. We have completely different ways of living life. We have um, different struggles, different, just different things. But what brings us together is the church, which I think is really great. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you bring up social media and it's, it's so funny. And I think we've joked about this before. Community of Christ on social media is so funny because we have this tendency to join every group that has anything to do with community of Christ. And I was thinking about this driving to work the other day and how, um, it's just, it's funny. I started getting a lot of friend requests from people recently, just like in the last couple of weeks, we've been a big uptick of people who are community of Christ that I've never, I've never met, but maybe we have some mutual friends. And at first I was like, I'm not accepting these, these friend requests. It's really strange. And then I, I kind of dawned on me the other day that I think in a way it's community of Christ, like really weird, awkward way that of, um, like living out blessings of community. Like it's this idea that, yeah, we've never met, but we're family. We're both community of Christ. You know, we should be, we should be friends. We're both community of Christ. So it, I think in a way, even though it's kind of funny and awkward, I think it um, really is genuine. And it's one of the great things about community of Christ, this kind of family aspect. Um, that's part of what keeps me coming back. So even though there's this awkwardness of it on social media, I, I do think it's kind of an authentic way that people are, are trying to be the church. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and it's kind of funny because I have experienced similar things or sometimes if I will tag somebody, um, in the church for whatever reason, you know, a, a memory will pop up or, you know, whatever, um, or a picture, then, you know, some of their Facebook friends yeah. will start adding me and I'm like, Oh, this is cute, but <laughs> it is, it is sweet. I mean, and, you know, and, those same people, when I run into them at retreats or at world conference or in the temple for seminary focus sessions or whatever, you have that foundation of, oh yeah, we're Facebook friends. I totally see your posts. And, you know, it's just... It's kind of in our genetics of of the church. It's this like weirdness of, I think maybe we're all, um, we really believe that we're family because we're part of this faith community. So it it is kind of uh, on the outside, I think maybe it does seem awkward, but I, I think it's a gen, this genuine idea of community and we're just living out on this really strange platform of social media. Yeah. Well, and I will say that, um, you know, from my experience, not always having been community of Christ and I've only been community of Christ for four years. Um, when I went to spectacular this last year, um, and I kind of was under the radar as like not the seeker Mormon for a while. Um, I was just teaching classes, but then I did a Q and A and I spoke and told more of my story. And so that came out. And after I did that, uh, people would stop me on the sidewalks and be like, Oh, I, I have this Mormon friend who lives in Ohio and I worked with this, you know, person and do you know them? And there was this assumption that 
you know, the LDS church was as tight knit as community of Christ. And I'm like, no, Mormons don't like each other in the same way that community of Christ people like each other. Like, if the situation was reversed and you said, do you know this community of Christ person from Ohio? The answer is probably yes. Yes. Cousin or what? Yeah. You know, someone that goes to their congregation. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, you too. I found you on Facebook because we have angel friends. And I was like, it's creepy, but I feel like I know her. Because we were in the seekers group together. And it's like, I'm seeing her pieces of your story. And I started start to convince myself, I know you. I see something in her that I connect with. We've never met, right? And then we become friends. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I know that, you know, size has a lot to do with that. I mean, Community of Christ is a small, you know, just a small group of numbers that we're working with, but it's still just kind of funny. Um, it's charming in an awkward kind of way. Yeah. It really, it really is. It, it makes a lot of different encounters feel like a family reunion, which yes. is great. <laughs> yeah. Very endearing. So now you, you know, have two kids, you're working with the mission center, you're holding down a career. Um, you're in seminary, all the things that we've mentioned, that's a lot. And it's very busy. So what keeps you doing this? What keeps you active with community of Christ? Um, the people, um, it's by far the people to be engaged with a group of people and international family, um, who share common values. And like we said, treat each other like family. Um, I think it's really special. Uh, that sense of, Family, the, the dedication, the joy, um, the sense that we are on a journey together, um, all of it, it's a feeling, you know, there's so much um, that's really authentic and it's the people, the people keeping it back every time, every week people um, bring something new, challenge me in some way, we're, we're such a unique group of people. Our and our friends. So because you're a mom, uh, you are the first, well, this is a brand new series. So we, I haven't really interviewed very many people, but you're the first mom, the first parent that I've had on Chai Can't Even. Um, so I want to know, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the specifics of raising kids in Community of Christ. Um, and I know like we both have young kids, so it's not like we're dealing with teenagers or anything. Um but yeah, and I didn't put this on our outline or anything. I'm just kind of throwing it at you as, as a curveball. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm specifically wondering because we both have daughters, um, what you hope that their formation in community of Christ will be like, what they're growing up, um, how they'll be empowered, et cetera. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I am, um, I am really excited about the feminist attitudes that I see in the embrace that I think are admittedly still developing. Um, I think when we were at church yesterday and the person who was speaking said, I was talking about God and then said, he. And I think a lot of times when we say he, it's um, habit. I don't think we actually um, always mean that we believe that God is male. And my daughter ran over to me and immediately said, mom has got a boy. And it's, and you know, we have these moments where it's this opportunity to talk um, theology, which is hard to do on a, a three-year-old level sometimes. But um, I have a lot of hope that she is taking in these moments and realizing what it means to be a woman right now in our church. And in a lot of ways, we are very lucky. A lot of people have it um, worse. I think my hopes for her are that she... Um, and, and both of my daughters, I'm talking about my older daughter because my youngest is 10 months, um, that she sees how many um, strong women we have in our church, the steps that we've taken, and the way that um, Community of Christ has tried to own our history more honestly. I am um, really hopeful that she sees the sacredness of community, learning about um, not just what we believe, but why we believe it, and that she's an important part of that story. I really appreciate what you said. Um, I have a lot of these same thoughts uh, with my own kids. And I think that religion can be a good driving, hor driving force for good in the world. Um, and when religion gets it right, I think that we, religion in general, we have a lot of power um, and social pull and social influence. And so um, I just keep thinking, you know, with my own kids, uh, raising them in a church that will empower them to be whoever they want to be, to love whoever they're going to love, et cetera. Um, 
seems to be the best path that I know how to rear them, if that makes sense. It, it gives me the tools. It gives me the support in the community um, to really just allow my kids to be who they're going to be, which I think is a huge benefit to this church that other churches don't necessarily have. You know, and to the credit of every congregation I've ever taken my kids to, which is a lot, I, I bounce around, I like to try out um, different congregations. To their credit, I mean, they let my kids run up and down aisles barefoot and be kids. They don't, they're not expected to be sick by the age um, They get to kind of live that joy. And I think not only are people tolerating it, but I hear... Um, during a prayer yesterday, my 10-month-old screamed at the top of her lungs. It's her new talent or whatever, right in the middle of the, I think it was the benediction. And I can hear everybody kind of um, giggling, you know, for them to be part of the joy of that community, to be um, really valued. You know, it's just, it, it really is an awesome experience to be part of a community, like you said, um, really loves your kids, you know, and, and for who they are and lets them be. Um, who they want to be. It's, it's a pretty awesome experience. Yeah, for sure. It, it makes parenting from my perspective, a little bit easier knowing that there's a community of people of grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that are excited about my kids. Um, it's good. So let's talk a little bit about the challenges of being a millennial in community of Christ today. I know that, you know, there's a lot of talk of, dying congregations of aging congregations. Um, and sometimes that talk is not necessarily coming from people, um, in their twenties and thirties. It is. But, um, a lot of times I feel like people maybe in their forties, fifties, sixties up, um, don't necessarily have a lot of hope for the future. And that's kind of a generalization, but I know, especially, um, in my area, there's, you know, talk about, closing campgrounds and just a lot of complaining and getting people down. So uh, maybe I took this into a slightly too negative place, but, <laughs> but let's talk about um, some of maybe our specific challenges, um, you know, being in aging congregations, et cetera. I think that um, our generation kind of gets scapegoated. Um, that's how I think about it. Um, and then it doesn't just happen in churches. I think millennials, I'm like on the edge of um, being a like I claim that when it's convenient, I don't think it's not convenient. That person. <laughs> but I think we get we get scapegoated a lot, and it, just in society too. Um, our generation gets blamed for a lot of problems that, frankly, we inherited. So, um, yeah, there's not always a lot of young people in congregations, but honestly, there's not a lot of people in their forties and fifties either. Um, so this is not a new problem. I I think some of it is from the massive amount of change that congregations have been asked to make theologically in the last several decades, uh, not everybody felt that they were in a place to come along with the journey, and that's okay. Um, but what we left behind were a lot of people who would now be members in their 40s and 50s and some of their kids. So we are a little bit and still a recovery mode, and I think we are really honing in on who we are as a community and what that means and where we're headed. But some of that, in my opinion, means that congregations are not going to look like what they have always looked like. And that has to be okay. Um, we have to let go of the idea that a congregation is going to be in a building that we own Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Congregations need to start really discerning where God is calling them. I think that is the future. It's hard because we're in a way asking millennials to either, it's going to be kind of harsh, either start their own thing, right? <clears throat> Or we're asking the older people who are in congregations, who for them, maybe Sunday morning really is working and is really enriching. There certainly are congregations that are absolutely engaged in mission on Sundays uh, and throughout the week. But we're asking them to do something different. And we're asking people to take a huge risk. Um, we started a congregation in our mission center, like I mentioned, that meets just four times a year. And um, that was not immediately accepted by everyone in the mission center. Mission center leadership was um, immeasurably supportive. They gave us everything that we needed to make that happen. But I think um, when we start doing these things that are risky and they feel different, it can it can feel scary. And we've already been through so much change as a denomination. Um, 
we have to, you know, figure out how to trust each other and make it okay to try things and fail. Um, I think we're getting there, but a lot of those things just get blamed on, on the millennial generation because I think it's, it's easy to do, you know, and because you don't see a lot of millennial faces in, in traditional congregations, maybe they're, maybe we're an easy scapegoat. And I don't know if that's too harsh, but. No, I mean, I agree. Um, and I, I really like that you brought up trust, the, you know, that maybe these two worlds, these two ideas of what church is, and it's not just two, that's, I'm, I shouldn't talk in just strict binaries, um, but these different ideas of how church should look, um, that those groups should come together and trust each other more and experiment and, you know, kind of just throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. And um, it doesn't have to be completely getting rid of Sunday morning worship, but it doesn't have to be completely getting rid of, you know, meeting at coffee shops or uh, virtual congregations or, um, you know, meeting four times a year for a specific purpose at a specific, specific place, um, et cetera. So, yeah, I really like that you brought up trust in that. Absolutely. And I think that we um, can't treat it like a failure when things don't work out. We try it and it doesn't work. That's, that's fine. Members that are engaged in non-traditional congregations have to be treated equal to members that are um, engaged in traditional congregations. They still look you know, are going to want to go. I know for me, in my non-traditional congregation, I still want to go to World Conference. I still want to go to Missions Center Conference. That stuff's super important. And two, once um, once people start seeing you at those things, they realize, hey, this really is, um, it really is a congregation, you know, in the, in the, in the ways that matter kind of in the legislative aspect, but we're just living things out differently. And Mission is not going to look the same for everyone. And that has to not only be okay, but be good. Yeah, exactly. I really appreciate what you're saying. Um, and it's been interesting kind of coming into this when these conversations are happening, um, because I'm someone that does like traditional Sunday morning worship, but I also really see the benefit of, you know, having midweek things, midweek activities, um, meeting people where they're at, um, going into people's homes, meeting at parks. Um, I'm involved with a couple different online, uh, you know, virtual congregations, like we call them. Um, virtual worship experiences. And it's been fun to just experiment and to see what, um, you know, connects with different, a variety of different people. And we all have different learning styles and spirituality types, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's hard kind of breaking that mold when people are used to just sitting in pews and, you know, having a really good sermon delivered to them and then going home. And so. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love Sunday mornings. I look forward to that all week. And I think we have this habit of calling that church, but really what that is, is worship. And church is, uh, church is the totality of what, of what we are. You know what I mean? And so I think if we break that habit a little bit too, uh, that puts us a little bit farther in our shaping of our congregation church. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked a little bit about technology. Um, what do you think that the church needs to do to continue to, I don't know, keep up with the times or to engage people um, with with technology? Yeah, it's it's such a hard question. Uh, I think, like you said, we we are on our way there. I think we are starting to uh, to recognize the importance of that, and I think. Brittany, what you guys are doing is super important on Forward with Community. Um, there's a lot of really exciting stuff that's happening. Um, I feel like we covered a little bit how I feel about this already. You know, looking at what a congregation, what a community really is, and getting the permission from the mission centers and from apostles to keep trying these things out. And I think that is going to look um, look different. I think we're going to see more um, Zoom congregations for um, our non-traditional congregation, Blue Water Emerging Congregation. Um, in between uh, our quarterly gatherings, we have wave groups that meet and get together. I would like to see something like that with a congregation that meets a couple of times a year and in between does Zoom. You know, it's a totally different experience to be able to see face and hear their voice. Um, I think that we have a lot of opportunities. I think we're getting there. We just have to keep keep trying. I wish I had a candy answer for what the future looks like for Community Christ, but based on our journey thus far, I think it's going to surprise us. It always does. 
Spoken like someone who just <laughs> wrapped up two church history classes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, no, it's true. And I think, honestly, um, that's one thing that seminary has empowered me to be able to see is that, you know, the issues that we're dealing with, um, which sounds really negative, but but the challenges that we're facing still sounds negative. But, you know, life in general, it keeps moving forward um, no matter what has been thrown at the church in the past. Um, we just have to keep reinventing not ourselves, but just keep reinventing what it means to be ourselves in the context of our society, um, which yeah. is challenging and exciting. And to be that guy, you know, <laughs> in the 1966 statement on objectives, it says something like every generation has to discern what the church is going to be for their generation, right? Like that, and that has not changed since 1966. We have to continue to discern what the church is going to look like for our generation, memorials. And I think we have to figure out um, how to do that, what discernment looks like individually and in community as congregations. I don't think we're awesome at that yet. Um, we absolutely have the power to do it. We have the drive. I have a lot of hope for what the future of community of Christ is going to look like. We just have to keep um, keep working at it. And But that's something that's never going to end. You know, we're, we're always going to be saying, you know, how can we be more inclusive? How can we be reaching more people? What does mission look like? Where are we needed? Um, we have to kind of get comfortable in the struggle. I think we can be doing better than we are, but I do think we're on the right path. Yeah. And I think that that's why relationship is so important because it's in talking to people that we are able to understand, um, those individual struggles. I mean, cause I know that I've championed for certain things in the church and have thought like, Oh, look at where we succeeded here. But then I get another perspective and I think, Oh, we totally missed the mark there. And you know, I have to check my own privilege and my own, uh, place of just limited understanding. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've been on the other side of that too, where I think, you know, we've, we've come a long way and we have, don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't think we've arrived, as they say. And so it's exciting to be um, part of those conversations and to recognize, I guess, too, that leadership is responding and that they're listening and that we have a voice, uh, whether that's a voice, you know, on the world conference floor or whether that's shooting an email to, you know, your mission center president or your apostle or whoever um, to get these ideas going and these changes happening, which is yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. When we've tried to start things, when we've decided we were going to do something weird and new and different, um, we always get a lot of support. You know, I think um, if we keep stretching our legs and we keep trying new things and pushing ourselves and each other, we we get a lot of support. We can have, we can absolutely do it. We just have to keep keep at it, and, it, and it's hard because it feels like a risk. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, empowering youth today. So, you know, you kind of mentioned like, we, we might have this generational gap, um, of people, maybe our parents age, um, or a little bit younger, depending on how old your parents are, whoever's listening to this. <laughs> um, but we do have a lot of emerging upcoming leadership, um, with our youth. And again, like I kind of mentioned that typically, um, you know, once you hit 18 and you go off to college, that's uh, when a lot of people maybe drop off of religious experience and engagement. Um, so I don't know what the youth situation looks like in your congregation or in your mission center. Um, but have you found ways to kind of turn around and to mentor others? Or do you have ideas on how we can do that as um, millennials, you know, people in our 20s and 30s? Because I think that we have a strong influence on people that are teenagers, etc. <clears throat> Something that we're trying in our mission center, and it's going to be new this summer, is um, a young adult summer camp. So we have junior camp, junior high camp, senior high camp, and then we're like, good luck. See you hopefully at reunion. Um, and I think sometimes maybe people aren't quite ready to transition from senior high to re reunion is awesome. I love it. I loved it as a teenager, but this period after 18 is a little awkward. Um, and so what we're trying is this young adult camp. This year it's just going to be three days. Um, and I planned it really well. So it's, that's right up to the next focus session. 
as I like to do those things to myself. But um, this year, the um, core curriculum is that we're going to go over sharing in community Christ. And we're going to talk about um, basic beliefs and check the dangerous principles and who we are. And we're going to help them find um, themselves in who community of Christ is. Start identifying um, gifts and try to sort of foster them through this um, this period of feeling sort of left out. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard transition. I remember it being a difficult transition. Um, each year, my idea is that the material will get a little bit deeper, um, theologically as well as digging into who they are, but also learning, um, leadership skills. We're going to learn spiritual practices, ways that you experience the divine outside of. You hear a lot of kids say, and, and I believe it too. It, you don't experience um, the divine the same way outside of camp as you do at camp. It's a really unique experience, but it doesn't mean that we don't encounter the divine every day. Um, so learning spiritual practices on how to do that. So my goal is it's going to be a four-year camp to kind of walk with them through this period and establish relationships where we really care um, individually about each of us to have priesthood there to say, I see this quality in you. That's really a quality we would see um, in a deacon. That's really a quality we would see in a priest. I really think that's a gift that you have. Keep developing that. So um, mentoring is is huge. And I think that this is going to be a way that we're going to try it. I don't know how it's going to work. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But we do have 12 young adults registered, which is pretty good um, for a first-year camp in our mission center. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, but hoping to foster them do that, that transition into young adulthood. I love that. I love that you've taken this um, gap period that's stereotypically difficult for young adults um, and you're doing something about it. I mean, that's, that's like the beauty of ministry in community of Christ. I think, you know, you see a gap, sometimes it's a literal gap. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a hole in, in where, um, we can be plugged in with people and you're just filling that, which I'm excited for you. I hope it works out. Yeah, I hope that it really turns out to be something exciting. I think if we can continue to identify these areas where we have opportunities for our young adults to be meeting that people have this Yeah, for sure. So I guess just to wrap up really quick. So you did say that you have a lot of hope for the future moving forward as a church. I guess, what exactly gives you that hope and what, what does that hope actually look like? What makes you excited about the future of the church? I think looking at the journey that we've been on and where we're headed, I think there's never been a point where we've known more than we know today. And I think where we're headed is always a mystery, but I think we're headed in the right direction. We have a really solid foundation that we're built on. And I think people are really, um, really buying into, um, you know, who community of Christ is and, and, and what we're trying to do. I think we're getting good at living into the idea that it's messy and that's okay. Um, and I think, you know, the church is really starting to figure out what, what mission looks like. And I think that's ultimately what, um, what church is. We're getting excited about social justice ministries and starting to live into that more. I think that too is going to really appeal to um, younger generations who really see that there are um, injustices and that the church has and should be a voice in that, confessing the things that the church has um, not done in the past to live into it. I think the fact that we are really refined as to who we are and what we believe we're going. Um, that's a huge hope for me. I think we've never been more poised to really make the world actually better than we are today. That And that's exactly why I joined Community of Christ. Um, and it's it's challenging. It's really challenging to know that you're joining something that has um, such a strong identity and such a strong drive for mission to then personally say like, okay, if I'm going to join this, like I'm really going to join this and I'm going to um, add my voice to the sea of voices that are um, lobbying and marching and um, you know, all that stuff. It's kind of a big deal. Even though we're small, we, we have a really big, yeah. um, really big drive, which I appreciate. I think community of Christ asks something different of people than um, some other denominations. We really ask you not just to sit in the pew and to 
to consume what our message is, but really to be a part of it and live it. It becomes really um, consuming in an exciting way, but it asks a lot of you because mission is all of our responsibility. And um, it's, it's really, really exciting, but yeah, it can be, um, it can be intense because I think we are, we do take mission really seriously. Yeah. But it's exciting. And we have lots of Facebook groups to help us figure it out. (laughs) You will meet all 250,000 of us on Facebook. (laughs) It's so funny. It's like real quick, Facebook groups. It's almost gotten to the point where, you know, I'm in a couple that are very, very specific, like alarmingly specific. (laughs) And then people will try to be added in them. And I'm like, well, you're not necessarily on our worship planning team for this one specific camp. So... (laughs) Like, I don't know if this is the best fit for you, random person in (laughs) seven states away. You know, I can so, (laughs) but I love it. It is. It's genuinely well-meaning, but yeah, we're figuring out what our Facebook presence looks like. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It makes me so happy. Like literally makes me so happy. (laughs) Oh man. Well, is there anything else you would like to leave us with? Any other thoughts that we didn't get to or? No, I'm just so um, appreciative to have this time. It's been really, really fun talking and it's just so exciting to talk to other young people who are excited about about the future and and what it's going to be like. Yeah, which is exactly why I wanted to do this because I I don't know. I think maybe I just got a little burned out on church history with... (laughs) I cannot imagine why you would feel that way after 16 weeks of seminary. Just intense study. And for all those listening who are thinking about seminary, it is great. Don't get me wrong. Those two church history classes were the crowning moments, I think, of my seminary experience as far as learning goes. But seminary is a lot of work. But it is intense. It's a lot of work. Do that. Do that. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.